You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to episode 30 of Arsenal Pass. I'm Brendan Patrick, joined always by calling champion Hayden Dale. Hayden, how are you doing? I'm good. Just thinking about the fact that we're in the 30s now. It's, uh, it's all downhill from here for the podcast. Oh, really? I thought you were talking about my age. I was like, dude, that is rude. Um, but for those of you who don't know, Hayden is actually currently cruising at an altitude of X thousand feet. I'm for some reason blanking on how high airplanes fly, but he is flying over to the United States. I think when this releases, he's actually landed, but he's only been in the US or at least landed in Orlando here for like a couple hours. So we'll just say he's flying. Anyway, Hayden. Can, can you, first of all, I need you to guess how high does a plane fly? Yeah, gosh, I just got to remember when they're like, is it 15,000 feet? Uh, no, much, well, much higher. You might 32? fly to, yeah, 32 is generally what you're flying at when you're flying domestically within the US, you'll be around 32, 33, 34, depending on which flight path you're on. But I will be flying at around 37,000 feet at some point on my way to the US. So there you go. Anyway, before my intro was hijacked, um, <laughs> this week we are going back to our one of our class deep dives. So this episode's Hayden and I dedicate an entire episode to breaking down a specific class in Constructive with a focus on core fundamentals, ways to build and play the hero, key cards, strengths and weaknesses, how to win with it, and ultimately how to, bleed, how to beat it. So our fifth installment is the villain of Flesh and Blood, the Runeblade class. Yeah, what a, what a turnaround, right? I mean, you wouldn't have been saying that in Arcane Rising. You would have been saying the... You know, the, the underplayed, the off-forgot uh, blade, the purple man from the monastery. But yeah, I mean, it's it's um, obviously, I think this is kind of an episode that people have wanted. And I think it's really timely, obviously, with like the growth of, of Briar and us becoming off the back of Chain. And obviously, like even Viserai um, is is like having a reasonable showing in this current meta. So I think it's the right time to to do this episode. And yeah, I'm really excited to talk about Runeblade. So as well with our Runeblade class deep dive, our main topic of the pod today, we are splitting it over two parts, just due to you know, the massive size of of the Runeblade class and the amount of heroes. Do want to call out as well as we talk through the cards today, which we'll get into at the main topic. We always do this for our deep dives. You can follow along on Fab TCG on the card gallery. We're just looking, that's how we do it. We go through the card gallery, talk about the key cards. Uh, so the easiest way to follow along with us. Yeah, I'm just really excited for, you know, Briar to become very popular. Maybe we see like a plunder run ban. I'm not advocating for that, by the way. And then we just go to Viscerai and just break the format again, just make it so Runeblade is just absolutely too powerful for flesh and blood it is the essence of power in the game but hayden tell me about your week in flesh and blood yeah i can tell you yeah i was gonna say we'll, we'll get into all that through the uh, main topic uh week <laughs> has been week has been chaotic to be honest um so flesh and blood has been yeah a big part of this week uh testing trying to since i kind of made the call to go to orlando which literally only happened last thursday so i think as we were recording all last wednesdays we were recording the pod last week i just made the made the call um so really trying to catch up on specific i guess targeted testing with with the team um and then outside of that like getting myself sorted i had to go and like i did get my visa sorted i had to um get my i had to get COVID test things like that like i just had to you know to organize all the stuff get ready so it's been a been a pretty chaotic week and uh, work has also been busy so that hasn't hasn't helped anything but no it's uh, i'm excited i'm about to jump on a plane i mean yeah as, as Brent says by the time this drops uh, i am i have just landed freshly hopefully safely in orlando surely right and you've been greeted by your your long lost friend brendan who picked you up at the airport with open arms you can pick me up at the airport uh, okay 
No, definitely not. I don't have a car. <laughs> um, but so I'll talk about my week. So this was the first week of no pro events, um, which you know you think would be relaxing, but it ended up just being an ext- incredibly stressful week of testing and um, actually switching our deck uh, for nationals. This is obviously in lieu of Lightning Briar performing quite well and becoming very popular. Uh, it was unfortunately for us, it was one of the harder matchups for our deck. So if it's going to look at like you know twenty thirty percent of the meta, it's probably correct for us to make a change. So yeah, this week's been really stressful. And uh, yeah, probably one of the the this is probably less feel less prepared than I have before, but that that's just the nature of you know switching, um, sort of last minute, which I would consider one week to be. Anyway, Hayden, though, take us into the news. I was just gonna say you you were switching. I was I was just trying to pick a deck. I I wasn't even <laughs> I was at a point of not even committed to a deck. Um, been flip flopping around. But yeah, if you want to hear a bit more about I guess um commitments to decks and and what. Uh, we, we are playing this weekend we're actually we just recorded time in the round early to, to talk about that uh and that will that will drop uh, i think it'll end up being before yeah before the calling starts uh is when that drops so, so saturday yeah i think it's like early saturday morning for east coast time um yeah but anyway we'll, we'll head uh head into the news all right straight into it brennan so nationals and the calling orlando is this weekend uh we will both be there very exciting we already talked about it i'm flying over you're gonna be there we're gonna be hanging out uh, i will be hanging around the venue on friday obviously brendan will be playing but yeah come come and say hello come up and um introduce yourself and have a chat and i'm gonna be trying to play some i think we end up just playing some side events um on friday i think is my plan i think uh not really too keen to test more and more and more i feel like uh, i'd rather just at this point play some games and relax on friday after flying in and then i think on uh monday actually while we're in orlando me and brenda are also going to record um some content we're going to do a podcast sitting next to each other which is gonna be pretty novel and pretty cool uh so yeah if you are if you are there over the weekend come say hi to both of us well i'm excited to meet you and obviously excited to play this event hopefully i will not be joining you in the event on saturday but um, do you want to mention we did have a deck tech just go up for Viserai, so check that out. Viserai, I think, is actually well-positioned. We saw a top eight over at uh, in the UK Nationals, which is really cool. So I think it was actually the only Viserai in the tournament um, and a top eight. So power of Viserai is yet to be discovered. Um, and who knows, maybe maybe the meta opens up with the emergence of Lighting Briar so Viserai can come around. So nice little Viserai deck up on the Oslo Pass channel. Check it out on YouTube. So last week's time in the round, we did have Tan and Grace. He is sort of the orator of Flesh and Blood, kind of the main caster that we've had throughout all these events, both you know Las Vegas, Dallas, and Cincinnati. It's a great conversation, awesome guy. Recommend you, you know, take a look at it or listen to it on any of your available podcast platforms because that's where Time in the Round is uploaded now. So check it out. And finally, here just want to say big thank you to all of our patrons. Those 250 patrons so far, um, just it helps us do so much, and we're incredibly appreciative. The Arsenal Pass Patreon does have tons of ex- uh, you know additional and exclusive content. So if you throw up a deck tech on the YouTube channel, the sidebar guide, deck theory notes, ratios, all that good stuff, it's going to be over on the Patreon as well as exclusive monthly pods and a monthly live session as well. Anyway, Hayden, there's no command to cookout today because we do have a class deep dive so why don't you take us into the main topic yeah. of the pod brennan you keeps trying to advance me too quickly i have i have more to say brennan doesn't want me to talk today what is this <laughs> no no i um did you want to say so yes no no commander cookout uh, today we're just going to dive straight into the runeblade class obviously runeblade has three current heroes in the classic constructor format so we feel like we wanted to you know make sure we gave the appropriate time to that and didn't rush through it 
So if you do want to get your question for the Commander Cookout section, send them to arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. That's arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. Or tweet at us, um, or even just drop a comment down the, the YouTube and, and let us know that you've, uh, you, know, you want to get your question featured on Commander Cookout, and we will do our best to do so. Uh, the other thing I wanted to say as well, Brendan, is that uh, I just wanted a small correction to the the uh, news item there about the Viscerai deck. We actually had uh, one of our patrons, uh, one of our patrons, sorry, Adam, actually played the the Viscerai list uh, that's going up in the that's the deck tech list that we've we've sort of featured in a couple of game players at uh, UK Nationals. So I just wanted to shout out to Adam. I think Adam went four two. Oh, the, multiple. Yeah, Adam went four two in the constructor portion with with Viscerai, I believe. Um, and sort of, you know, on pretty, pretty light preparation. So, um, yeah, just want to shout out Adam there, uh, one of our patrons. Good, great job. Awesome, awesome stuff. And ripping the viscerai, which is always something that I love to see. And on that note, while we're talking about viscerai, you know, what a week for, for I guess, for Runeblades. Let's, let's, yeah, let's jump straight into the main topic. So we are talking about Runeblade today. Runeblade is a class that is, you know, is, is very unique, right? And, and I guess terms of the game of Flesh and Blood. So when... When Flesh and Blood first, first released, and you look at Welcome to Wraith, you have you have your Warrior, you have your Guardian, you have your Ninja, and you have your Brute, right? And this is, you know, feels all pretty standard in terms of, I guess, a fantasy world and and what was being built out by Legend Story Studios with the game of Flesh and Blood. But then, right, then we get to Arcane Rising, and then you get this introduction of, of or first of all, Wizard, which is awesome. And you get Mechanologist, mm-hmm. you get Dash, which is really cool as well. But you also get, you also get Viscerai, and you get Runeblade, and something that is, I think, pretty clear pretty quickly just how important this this class was or this hero was especially when we didn't necessarily know how many how many heroes we would have per class how important this was to legend story shoes and flesh and blood they had you know steve argyle doing the art you know famously a very a big name in sort of the the magic art world uh, and other tcgs doing you know the key art for for viscerai i think it was pretty clear pretty quickly just sort of how important this this class was and if you look at you know, just what Runeblade means to this game overall. If you move through into, of course, and we're going to talk about this as we go through sort of like some of the history and then just talking about the cards and, and the heroes themselves. But if you move through into, you also have, of course, Chain, and then you have Briar in the most recent set. So the last two sets, we've also had the introduction of, of two new Runeblades over those two sets. Really clear, right, that this is a marquee class for, for Flesh and Blood. And it's been explained in the world. There is a lot of different Runeblades in the world. They reside in different areas of the world, be it Aria, be it the Demonastery, uh, be it across the world, and, and they have different functions, right? So I think it is a really cool, not only, I guess, design space for the game uh, with what Runeblade does and that, you know, the arcane versus the physical, the split damage, the, the non-attack actions versus the attack actions, but also just the story building and the world building of Wraith and, and what Runeblades mean to mean to this game um and mean to james white and legend story studios so that's just my i guess a bit of an introduction there brennan to to runeblade well let's go off of that a little bit let's talk about the runeblade identity what what sort of signals it from other classes so we talked about the split damage attacking on two vectors you have both arcane damage and physical damage i think you mentioned something here as well the balance of attack actions and non-attack actions obviously this isn't a prerequisite to your runeblade deck but there are a lot of runeblade cards that will benefit off you having a you know <laughs> certain split of non-attack and attack actions things like sonata arcanics um tome of the arc knight these very very powerful cards that ultimately reward you for a certain style of deck building we also have a lot of on hit triggers and go again you know, on hits that will create rune chance we have things like consuming volition that will make you discard and we have tons of go again through like if we look at chain's hero ability it's a go again on demand um, and then obviously Marvin Skies, which has become quite a popular package around these days. Yep. And my final point here, my final point here is my favorite, and it's an all cast and it says meta domination. 
all. So the Rune Blades. Um, not Viscerai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not, not Viscerai, unfortunately. He hasn't had his time in the sun yet, but both Chain and what's looking to be Briar um, have had a more than their fair share of time probably in, you know, at the the top of the meta, right? So Chain obviously was just a force, right? Uh, probably the most fundamentally powerful deck and class or in hero that we've ever had. Now we have Briar, which is definitely not on the same level, but, um, you know, if we take a look back at some recent results, and I'm sure that um, U.S. Nationals will show this as well, is that, you know, both more than more than Earth, the actual lightning side will be heavily, heavily represented. It has almost created a new kind of archetype, right? Um, we've had Ecker decks for a long time, but Briar's kind of the, this Briar deck is the first one that's really utilizing um, all zero costs, right? With very few amount of one cost cards in the deck. Yeah, I mean, so there has been these decks previously that have that have tried to emulate this. I guess the the difficult thing is that a lot of these have revolved around using like use of weapon. So like I think famously like really loaded the ground aggressive ninja decks. You know, would typically use like two resources a turn for the Kadachis, but otherwise we're we're trying to utilize like zero cost cards or one cost cards. Um, and I think you know we have seen this with I guess like even to an extent like Viseray aggro decks that you want to utilize like Rune Chance and again like Skimp on on costs and things like that but yeah i think the there's like an important piece around what's happening with the the, the evolution of rune blades and you talked about like meta domination right and, and where those sit per format so of course chain and briar seeing some you know some extensive play now if you go back though and you talk about this like balance of attack and non-attack actions i just wanted to touch on that first as well because that is actually really core to the identity of of rune blade and you might say well it's only really core to like cards like sonata and tome and um things like that but actually it's in like the dna of even you go back to viscerai so having that hero ability which is you play a non-attack action and you play a rune blade action then you get the trigger off viscerai and you can get multiple triggers a turn and one of the cool things about viscerai is it's not a once per turn trigger it is you know multiple triggers uh, that is like in the essence of the dna right it's like well if you you need to strike a balance between some number of non-attack actions to actually trigger viscerai and attack action so that's like already built into the dna but then you have you know like you talked about already like Morven skies you know a card that's a non-attack action that gives a direct buff to an attack action um you you know you saw i guess even like some generics that helped in the strategy as well with like you know like come to fight or foresight or all those you know those kind of things that probably saw some play in arcane rising and then you move through into chain and it's like yeah, it's the same thing, right? Like the weapons revolve around that. So Nebula Blade needs a non-attack action to be played in order for it to get that plus three. Galaxy Black, you know, needs a, a card to be played from Banish, um, which is you know, slightly different in that regard. Maybe Chain has the least amount of it, but also utilizes, uh, you know, one of the most powerful non-attack actions in the form of, of Seeds of Agony. Of course, Briar, you know, it's printed on the card in terms of that balance of attack and non-attack actions, depending on, you know, what you're trying to get. Obviously, you need attack actions to hit, so you need to play those in order to get the embodiments of Earth. And then you need the non-attack actions to get the embodiments of Lightning. So, um, you know, I think it is, it is actually core to the DNA as, like, the balance of non-attack actions and attack actions. I think that's why the Runeblade is one of these marquee classes is because uh, it, it shows off both sides of, of the game as well as physical and arcane damage. Yeah. So with that, let's head into my favorite section of these these kind of class deep dive, which is the history. So, um, luckily, my co-caster here, Hayden Dale, is actually a big Runeblade player back in Arcane Rising. So, why don't you tell me a little bit about um, what it was? What was it like to play Viscerai back in Arcane Rising, and why was he maybe a bit you know, underplayed or underadopted towards the end of that format, and probably during Crucible as well? 
So I think initially, yeah, I mean, Viscerite came out. There was like a lot of hype around Viscerite because it was like split damage and you have this really cool weapon in Nebula Blade. But ultimately, I think Dash really kind of took the spotlight and original Welcome to Wraith Heroes were still seeing a lot of play with like Katsu and um, Dorinthia, especially. And probably for Viscerite, one of the, the difficulties was deck building and actually like play patterns. So it was it was quite a difficult class to play. It felt like you had a certain amount of damage uh, in the deck because you know you you blast through all your things that make rune chance and if they defend the rune chance efficient, efficiently like how are you actually winning the game so it was like one sort of aspect and then just this uh, sort of thing of like well what are you, are you building like an aggro deck are you building a mid-range deck are you building like this big sort of uh, massive arc knight ascendancy or knight blade turns so there was like a lot of different things that were happening and i think this right kind of fell by the wayside i, I played quite a bit of this right i just found the class really interesting I think the the deck that I enjoyed playing before Crystal War came out the most is probably the more aggressive version. So like a quite a red line version that utilized cards like um, Life for Life and Vigor Rush, as well as the the class specific cards and Rune Flash and um, you know sort of going wide. Uh, Plunder Run was definitely in in that deck when that came out. And then yeah, I think it was probably pretty underplayed and pretty reasonable. But we also didn't get a ton of play and a ton of deck development during that Arcane Rising format. Well, moving on to uh, Crucible. How did, I mean, you got Scalata, right? You got a huge piece. What what kind of prevented his you know rune or at least Viscerai from having some time in the sun during that format? Well, you saw like the Crucible spoilers, right? And I, I think um, Brennan, you weren't playing much flesh and blood at this point right like you hadn't quite mm-hmm. come back into the game full time but there was like so much hype around around what was happening with crucible because yeah like there was scalata there was you know the cards like rattle bones uh there was um the rune blood barrier there was like these really seemingly powerful cards and a lot of tools that that rune blade was was grabbing from this new set um i think probably like cohesively it just didn't quite come together you know, it just wasn't uh, either it wasn't obvious. Some of the the strategies didn't really seem like what people wanted to play. We saw like these OTK Viscerai decks start to really come around because of like Runeblood Barrier and Scalata and the ability to you know like have these big turns or ninth blade turns or whatever. Um, never really saw Rattlebone see much play. Unfortunately, I think that card is like super cool with with Crucible. But yeah, Runeblade actually even saw less play uh, with Crucible of War than it, it had uh, in the in the previous formats. <laughs> Yeah, Crucible War also notably being um, Dash's <laughs> Dash's time to yeah. stay on top of the mountaintop. So um, that that matchup was a little bit a little bit rough, right? I, I do, yeah, I do have a bit of a, a piece of a piece of history though, I guess, and that's the first ever New Zealand Nationals in twenty twenty. Um, there was two teams that were actually working on on a Viscera deck. So one of them was Jacob Pearson, uh, who is now one of the developers with Flesh and Blood and you know calling champion he was working on a a rune blood uh, sorry a rune blade a viscerai sort of um like semi otk like quite go big deck uh you know like look to hit multiple times or hit with one one big turn uh, that he was looking to play at nationals ultimately ended up playing uh bravo and funnily enough myself uh, jason long and isaac olsen uh, were also you know working on a a deck as well that up until probably about four days till nationals uh isaac was leaning to so we actually had two decks in that format we had that and we had uh, the ot sorry the the claws um rhino deck that we'd come up with and then ultimately both of them played the claws rhino deck i didn't i didn't play i sit here in australia but uh there was it was very close to playing this viscerai um semi otk deck that was uh yeah pretty pretty cool like used like slogism 
um sorry yeah sogism and like these really big sort of attacks with scalata to push this big damage uh, and used rattle bones for like this kind of end game almost like semi combo where you get back like a meet and greet and then you get go again and then you come in with your weapon as well and so you're just presenting this like huge huge damage turn um after sort of like chipping in until about mid game and then you start setting up like a, a big rune chant turn so like quite a quite a cool deck just a bit of history there mm-hmm. and then we come into my time so i come back to the game and lo and behold chain is printed so chain and monarch um like i said i like we kind of mentioned earlier in this pod definitely the most powerful deck that i think this uh this game has ever seen um i often you know i'd said this quite a few times to some friends i you know an old friend of mine sasha who works at the company but i now and you know he's retired but i told him i was like this this chain deck really makes dread of brutality look like baby cakes like something close um <laughs> obviously we ultimately ended up in some bands but yeah chain was just so dominant in monarch it was actually i think it's the only time where deck has just been fundamentally it seemed like almost fundamentally favored against everything in the format um the one redeeming factor about the deck for me and the reason why i ended up enjoying it because I, I did not enjoy it at all at the beginning was that if you wanted to get your match against fatigue you know close to 100 percent, you had to practice a lot um and it, it was really hard but once you got it down it was very very rewarding and that was kind of my takeaway and something that I, I actually cherished from that format. Uh, that being said, it did get an appropriate ban um, soon after Vegas. So even though it did not win the Calling Vegas, um, Seeds of Agony, and the Weapon Dustblade, um, which was coming out in Tales of Aria and had not seen play it, were both banned, but Dustblade did remain legal in Blitz and other formats. Um, yeah, hey, I know you worked a lot on the Chain deck uh, with myself as well. What were your thoughts on Chain and Monarch? I think there's a point in time in history that's going to be a big learning for Flesh and Blood as a game and for Legion Story Studios as developers. And, um, you know, I think I think we've rehashed this a lot in, in previous pods and it depends on when you're listening to this. You could be listening to this, you know, in 2022 and maybe it's uh, Runeblade is newer to you and the game is newer to you. But what happened, I guess, with like the banning of seeds was like, I think the correct decision and really healthy for the game. Um the, the deck was, I guess, in a point or the, the hero itself with the cards at its disposal and the hero ability and just with the construction of the deck you could put together was, you know, like favored into basically every matchup, I think. And that was like an odd spot to be and, and not a healthy spot to be. So, yeah, I, I think it's it was, it was a good thing for the game. The deck was actually, like you say, like super fun to play and actually a lot more skill intensive than people thought. People would say like, you know, oh, you just kind of derp around and you play your seeds and then you play your attacks and you come in. But actually a lot of the time, you know, you weren't playing your seeds. You were like setting up these game states, using your banish, using your life total as a resource to get into certain situations of a game where then you push through damage. And, you know, if you kind of played this like really linear plan where you just like play out the stuff you banish and you just play like five or six card hands every turn, then yeah, you'd, you know, you'd probably still be really strong and you'd win a lot of your games. Um, but you might win maybe like, let's just say you, if you're an average player and you played the strategy out, you might win like 55, 60% of your games, right? But then if you en- enacted less like, this more strategic approach to the deck then you could be winning like to be honest like 70 80 90 percent of your games um and that's where the problem i think came with this uh with the with the chain and its strategies but you know what then we get a seeds seeds banning and, and i think chain is still like a reasonable choice for both constructive formats probably very strong on blitz still actually really strong on blitz um but it's also like still fun to to play i think mm-hmm. and then comes along tales of aria so we have briar warden of thorns into the format um bit unassuming at first because we so immediately after release of tales of War, we do have a limited 
uh, pro season, yes. right? So not not a lot of people are you know hyper focused on classic constructed. Obviously, people are testing it, they're playing around, they're having fun. But you know, I didn't hear too much about you know Briar or you know like people playing around with brews, but it wasn't like okay, this is broken. And then we get to we get to Dallas and Cincinnati, and we have these things called the ProQuest. So the ProQuest is a tournament that happens on Sunday. So if you don't make uh, if you don't make day two, you have an option to play in the ProQuest, and usually it's the opposite format. And I'm using the word opposite kind of you'll you'll understand, right? So if it's a constructed <laughs> to, uh, calling, then the ProQuest is limited. If it's a limited calling, ProQuest is constructed. So these are both limited callings, and you know obviously constructed ProQuest. So in in um, in Dallas, the first one. Very, very standard. You know, we saw some bolts and sabers. We saw, we saw, you know, Bravo and Prism duke it out in the final, just like we kind of seen in Vegas. Um, and Prism wins. Then we get to Cincinnati. Two Briars make top four, both with decks that haven't really been seen up until now. And this gets people really, really excited, um, I think, right? Like people, you know, there was obviously there was some usual suspects, there was chain, all this kind of stuff up there. People are like, oh, what are these Briar decks? Um, there was an Earth deck which I was on, and then there was this lightning deck um, that I think was actually created by a guy named Tarek, uh, Tarek Patel. And this is sort of the the time in Flesh and Blood's history where I think red deck wins was discovered. Right, <laughs> Yeah, I think basically, yeah, if, you, if you've ever played Magic or uh, even if you played other TCGs, you know, like the hyper aggro decks, like this is basically where we are at this point in time of recording uh, with the, the current versions of what Bri is looking at doing with lightning. But um. Yeah, I mean, Briar, first of all, really interesting hero for the, the dual element aspect. And I actually think that as we move through into some, like, this past this point to some more maturity in the game, that Briar is going to be a really interesting hero for its ability to um, probably at some point go into, like, a dual, a dual fusion deck, a dual element deck, to we might see more Earth come around. Channel Mount Heroic is a bit of a silly card, really cool card, though. Um, so, yeah, it's... Uh, it's a hero that I think is, I actually think it's super interesting and I don't, I don't think it's, it's not like chain. I don't think it's um, like, it might be a little bit meta warping to start with because that's how metas work, right? A deck emerges and that's the deck to beat. But uh, I think this deck is, is beatable. You know, the current sort of versions we're seeing is definitely beatable and it's actually really healthy for the game that we finally see like a really hyper aggressive deck, which you know, we haven't really seen to this point and probably could have worked with some other heroes, but just hasn't been, probably had maybe quite the right density of cards or it wasn't quite the right time. So and yeah so that leads to you know, the the <laughs> sort of current state so we with uh, the recording of this podcast the you know a few days is actually u.s nationals so a huge event um and that briar kind of meta warping and power level will be put to the test but let's get into some fun facts because the runeblade class was actually how i found out about mr hayden dale i I kind of known about him before because he was a calling champion and I was hoping that he wouldn't make it to one of the New Zealand callings that I competed in, the first construction calling. Luckily, he didn't. Um, so Sasha and I were able to pick up the tournament, Sasha ultimately taking first there. Uh, but I remember I was actually on a, on a road trip, like a 15-hour road trip, and I listened to this uh, Session Blood episode. It was about Viscera, and there was a little man on there, and he was, uh, <laughs> he was talking about the class, and that was my first introduction to Hayden Dale was his, uh, his guest episode on Session Blood. Yeah, I actually forgot that that's the first time that we, I mean, we talked, us talking about that. And then, you know, you, you came and asked for an autograph and everything. It was kind of awkward to be honest. <laughs> no, okay. Um, no, I mean, that was, first of all, that was a great, an awesome thing that uh, I was able to do with, with Karen and, and, and Carol. Like, um, you know, Session Blood is, is formative and probably a lot of 
we took a lot of influence. I mean, there's even a nod to today's title uh, from our friends at Session Blood. So, but that was a that was I think peak sort of playing Runeblade. I was playing a lot of Runeblade in that format. That was like post Crucible. Um, we talked about a lot of cards on there uh, about what sort of the the future of Runeblade might be, and it's pretty funny. I actually want to go back and listen to it because I think there's probably some stuff on there that I said that's probably ridiculous now. And there's some cards that you know, in the, given the current state of you know having Chain and then now Briar, uh, probably a lot of different valuations of of those cards. So I'm actually going to go back and have a listen at some point in the near future. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, another fun fact is that I think that, well, kind of Hayden and now, uh, as a result of that, Arsenal passed, but um, Hayden has actually had two Runeblade spoilers back-to-back, eh? Yeah, yeah, so my first ever uh, Flesh and Blood spoiler was Runeblade, uh, Rune Blood Barrier, sorry, from Crucible of War, and then following that up with Dimensional Crossroads from, uh, from, why am I blank? Monarch, sorry, from Monarch. From Monarch, yeah. <laughs> Those are some really cool ones. I feel like you must have known somebody that worked there or something like that. But uh, I also want to mention that, so we talk about like Viscera not having his time in the sun. So Blitz came out. Um, did Blitz, Blitz release in Crucible, right? Yeah, it did. Um, so when Blitz was actually first released, Viscera was actually one of the top decks before sort of Ira Control and Kano were discovered. Um, from what I understand, Agra Viscera was definitely a deck to beat. It was quite powerful. Yeah, I think um, the first... Just- First few weeks, right. yeah, of the format, I think Viscerae was like pretty hotly um, touted as like a pretty strong deck for sure. Yeah, unfortunately, it just kind of took a <laughs> straight auto loss to Kano in the end, and then the Flick Flax. Uh, we all know how Flick Flack works in that format, so <laughs> tough for Viscerae to deal with. Yeah, but then we got the we got the OTK deck right, so that was kind of the of, you know and say we'll probably talk about this about the deck sort of nature and the structure, but that was the. The, the Viscerai deck or the Runeblade deck that was uh, prevalent in the first season of um, Skirmishes and even into the start of the second season, to be honest, because of its ability to target Ira. And something that I, I don't know if a lot of people know is that Chain was actually developed. Um, I believe he was one of the first heroes developed for Flesh and Blood. He was developed in tandem with the Welcome to Wraith heroes and all of that. But James White, if I remember correctly, and I hope I'm not misquoting, he said it was actually one of the first heroes for the game that was kind of ever made. He had he said that I remember distinctly him saying the chain had been with him for a long time before it had released. Yeah, yeah. I don't know in which which form that is, you know, what chain looked like, but definitely, you know, chain was in his from from what I understand and from what James has said in the pretty pretty early on conception of Flesh and Blood as a game. Um and actually it's one of the coolest things I think that Welcome to Wraith and Arcane Rising, I actually like to look at those as like prequels almost to Flesh and Blood, if you think about it. They're about the <clears throat> sorry, the foundations of the game. And so I'm sure Viserai actually probably came after Chain and was almost like that prequel sort of uh, hero, which is, is also a really cool aspect of how I think Runeblade as a class has been looked at. For sure. Well, with that, Hayden, why don't you take us into how to build it? Yeah, so as always we do with these class deep dives, uh, we go through, we talk about, we first of all, we talk about the cards. So we go through, there's a lot more cards to go with Runeblade, so we might, um, we might skim over some cards. We'll mostly talk about like really key cards, or we might mention a few cards, but we won't dive into them like we... Like we would always with some of these class deep dives and that'll probably happen as we go through with these class deep dives and and they get bigger and bigger and at some point we will do like you know <laughs> like a booster shot almost you know like a, a revisiting of some of these classes to sort of update and talk about them again uh, as new heroes come out and what that sort of changes about the class dynamics so you might get like you know part two to some of these these class deep dives but we're at a point now with runeblade where you know generally with these deep dives of course we always focus on class constructed we will talk a bit about blitz but you know generally we're talking class constructed so we have three heroes so there's there's quite a few cards to talk about of course we have a supplemental set in the middle there so 
we will go through those and then we're going to talk about some of the ways that um you know that you can build these decks the type of like game plans they go after but without mm. uh i guess without any further ado should we get into talking about some of these cards we're gonna start with arcane rising brendan and i guess the first thing that i want to talk about because it's it's a piece of equipment and it's really important and the class still plays it day in day out and that's grasp of the arcanine yeah grasp of the arcanine is such an awesome awesome card obviously like when i when i first saw it i was like okay this is just a great blocking card but obviously it enables just so much in runeblade especially when we're talking about cards that will benefit from the on hit of a rune chant so if you've dealt arcane damage kind of a very key phrase in runeblade um and the rune chant allow you know the rune chant off grass allows you to do that a lot um it's a very interesting piece of armor what what were your kind of initial thoughts when it first yeah it has, was released it has like a lot of <clears throat> i think as we've gone through and we've had more rune blades come out more cards come out more sets come out the the utility of grass bark knight has continued to grow and it's continued to diversify what it, it does to the game so initially grass was like this really important like piece that you would often use on turn one to help you set up rune chance it would help you sink extra resources in so which is not something we really have in, in flesh and blood is like a way to sink resources it's not really that common so grasp is really cool in that respect and then as we've gone along with with chain and then now briar of course there's different things so we've got crystal of war and we're going to talk about some of those cards soon but some of those things that had like on hit effects or if you've dealt arcane damage this turn then grass became an important tool of being able to create those rune chance because you know you had less access to uh, efficient arcane damage or regular arcane damage i guess so grasp was used from that perspective so yeah it's like a it's a piece of equipment that's like really key to runeblade it's gonna continue to be really important for runeblade it's still of course also defense for two and defense for one which is is really important so it is a really strong piece of just defensive equipment um, but also has this really cool like utility piece uh so and all, all so all the runeblades can make use of that i think mm-hmm. i think the Absolutely. the next card i want to talk about which kind of works in tandem with that um before we talk about some of like the specializations is mordred tide so mordred tide when arcane rising released and like viscerite was like the main you know the main go-to i guess more only go-to sorry of of runeblades but even if we talk about these cards specifically mordred tide interacts like very heavily with obviously what viscerite is trying to do so i don't think i've ever seen mordred tide played outside of a, a viscerite deck because you know viscerite is the rune chant uh, hero right he makes rune chance as part of his hero ability but mordred tide was like this card that you know on the face of it was like oh yeah this seems like reasonable but actually when you when you dive into it and you start to think about you know like in-game setups and big five card hands and the ability to like push big damage mordred tide is like one of the best things that, that a rune blade or viscerai sorry can can do um you know you have all these cards that make rune chance mordred tide adds on to that it also amplifies your hero ability so if you're able to, you know, go wide on a big turn with a couple of non-attack actions and a couple of attack actions, uh, Mordred Tide could be getting you like, you know, four, five, uh, six different um, rune chants, which is, you know, of course that's all split damage as well. So Mordred Tide has like a really high ceiling as well as being a potential setup card for some of like the, the Arknight Ascendancies of the world or the Ninth Blades um, and really enable these like big um, sort of OTK or semi-OTK strategies. Yeah. And... Like you said, you were saying before we talk about the specializations, let's talk. Uh, sorry, the specializations. I just totally slurred my words there. But let's <laughs> talk a little bit about it because become the Arc Knight is just, you know, such an awesome card. I mean, I remember that was one of the most confusing, <laughs> kind of the the age old question is just like, what do you fetch off the the become the Arc Knight? But just talk to me about this card in sort of a fundamental sense. Like, what is it doing and what is it allowing Viscerai to do? Like, what is its kind of macro function um, in Viscerai? Yeah, first of all, this card has some of my favorite art in all of Flesh and Blood. Actually, if you if a, if you peep behind me in some of the videos, I have I have become the Arc Knight art sitting behind me. Uh, I think it's a fantastic piece of art. But yeah, the, the, I guess the use of this card is that um, 
I think it probably was really underutilized or under under wasn't understood properly in Arcane Rising with with Viscera being around, but it actually enables you to to consistently play these. You know, it goes and finds your Mordred Tide, just like having six Mordred Tide in your deck. Um, it enables you to go and find like the attack action when you draw the all non the all dreaded and all non attack action hand, which all sort of Rune Blades hate to see. It helps you filter that out. This this card can be you know while it costs you because you have to discard goes and finds you the piece that you need um, it can go and find you the big in-game finisher like an arcanine ascendancy when you've already got an oath of the arcanine or um, the plunder run set up in arsenal it goes and finds you the ninth blade that you need to then you know come in for 27 damage or whatever um on your turn so become the arcanine like super important card not only that it's a blue that defends for three non-attack action so this card is like super premium like super above rate and there's a reason that these cards are specializations and that these tutors are um you know one per sort of hero or class yeah absolutely and you know the arctan ascendancy as well the other specialization really just showing off that you know we talked about to be one of the key things about runeblade just the reduction of the cost of your you know your attack with rune chance so we see this on a lot of other cards something like rune flash uh ninth blade of the blood oath but you know arctan ascendancy in, in kind of specifically allowing you to cast this sometimes for free come in for dominate but then also sometimes refund itself with how much you've hit for yeah, I mean, so Arcanine Ascendancies, uh, Brennan, like you like to talk about like in theory, right? Like cards in theory or ideas in theory or decks in theory. And Arcanine Ascendancy in theory is like one of the best ways to um, set up like a pivot turn or set up like a mid game or, or swing a game and push push damage, right? Because you, you can make this cost nothing. You can also uh, add amplification attacks to it, you know, like non-attacks to it to make it, you know, 8, 11 worth of attack, right? And then you get these rune chants on the back of it, so you get like double your value and damage. So in like theory, this card is like amazing, right? But one of the problems with Arcanine Ascendancy as the game has gone on is, you know, first of all, we had like Unmovable, which is a really prevalent card during the time when this card was printed. And then we had just really efficient um, defensive equipment, which meant that, you know, when you put all this effort into set up this card and then you get very little payoff of it because you just get met by an Unmovable or like two pieces of equipment plus a, a sink below or whatever. Um, the, the return on this card is really low. So actually, it's funny, like Arcanine Ascendancy is one of the, I guess, the cost reduction cards that have seen less play. And instead, you know, we've seen a lot more like Rune Flashes and Amplify the Arcanites and um, even Drawn to the Dark Dimension because they're just like super efficient, right? It's funny how the, the evolution of Flesh and Blood Armor, like you said. Yeah, I think, yeah. And then the last thing, last kind of cards I want to talk about from Arcane Rising, just quickly, uh, Tony the Arcanite, really interesting card, a blue card that talks about, we already talked about at the top of the show, the balance of non-attacks and attack actions. Tony the Arcanite obviously cares about that. We have these uh, attack actions that create rune chants, so enable you to continue this flow of rune chants, always of rune chants, because you come in with a spellblade assault or a spellblade strike. If you've played a non-attack action that turn, you're getting, you know, triggers off a Sarai, you're getting the, the rune chance of those attacks, and then you set up for next turn to maybe play something like a, a rune flash or an amplify the arc knight or, or whatever it might be. Um, and the last one is reduce the rune chant. I think that as a defense reaction is like really interesting. It's, you know, if you are a deck that is centered around rune chance, it's like the, the best defense reaction, right? It's above rate, gets you an extra rune chant. Um, so represents a damage piece, plus it's free uh, once you have those rune chants. But yeah, any, anything from your side, Brennan, you want to talk about from Arcane Rising to kind of tie it off? Arcane Rising, I do want to head over to Crucible and talk about probably one of my favorite cards in the game, which is going to be the Bloodsheath Galata. So 
obviously just a straight kind of a straight i think at the point at the release of crucible of war this was a strict upgrade for viscerai um obviously you did have the option of like tunic um and maybe you know heart and cross trap i guess you're in sort of a blitz match or more of a very very aggressive deck but scalata and viscerai which is so fantastic to you know get that reduction right so it's allowing you to utilize those rune chance to apply this reduction now to anything that you want or any kind of rune blade attack right um and you if we talk about cards like Arknight, um, sorry, Become the Arknight, or what we will talk about soon, Ninth Blade of the Blood Oath, you can actually get a double reduction on some of these cards. Yeah, I mean, I remember seeing this card spoiled and just thinking, everyone was like, thought that Runeblade was going to be, you know, see so much play during Crucible that Viscerae was potentially going to be the best hero um, pretty early on in the spoilers, and it didn't end up that way for the, that format. Viscerae wasn't actually that heavily played. Um, some of the cards that it got were you know, really difficult to piece together. You had this really cool ability to set up these massive end games, but maybe didn't quite have all the tools you needed in that format. It was like a really dash dominated format. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Skeletor, like just as a power level is really high though, right? Like either you get to defend for two and then defend for one, or you get to defend for two and then you get to do something like pretty, pretty crazy, like have, uh, you know, have an attack for free and have a non-attack for free. And, and when you're non-attack is something like a, a rattle bones or even like, Slogism, or maybe it's Rune Blood yeah. Barrier and some of these OTK Slogism. decks. Yeah, Slogism into the only off a few Rune Chants, right? Slogism into the Ninth Blade for what is it like fourteen damage? Um, yeah, it's usually fifteen it's just, physical plus like five or six yeah. arcane. It's pretty pretty good. Yeah. Exactly, fifteen yeah. physical. Yeah, just a crazy combo. Yeah, um, I want to talk about Morven Skies because I think yep, this is another card that we saw spoiled, and I think is actually now that we've moved through has been. You know, one of the most important cards outside of the equipments and weapons from from crucible of war and that's because you know it goes back to this like essence and dna of what what the room what the room blade is which is you know a, a deck that cares about non-attack actions and a deck that cares about go again um or sorry a class that cares about those two things so morven skies was like it, it did that right it forced an on-hit effect like it created it gave you an on-hit effect because initially a lot of um in in the first set in arcane rising you know we didn't really have on-hit effects out of room uh room blades so i mean we get that with crucible of war with consuming volition with mean greet with red triptych with morven skies actually so many on-hit effects um, but it also creates the ability for you to give some of the cards like spellblade assault or spellblade strike or um jaunt to the dark, dark dimension this on-hit effect and go again so it just really helped the essence of move along the essence of uh, what a rune blade um, was, is, and could be. So I think this card is pretty important and is still seeing a lot of play now, right? Whether it be uh, whether it be chain, obviously in the mono format, or whether it even be briar to an extent, uh, or viscera in the current format. Yeah, and speaking of on-hit effects, I want to talk about probably my favorite comment card from Crucible, and that's going to be consuming volition. So Consuming Volition added a discard on hit effect to Runeblade's arsenal. So if you've done arcane damage, um, Consuming Volition, if it hits, will also make your opponent discard a card. Just such a good tool to have versus like the anti-aggro decks, which some of the, I think, feel like some of the Viscerai decks were struggling into previously. Yeah, I, exactly. Like the, the fact that you didn't have these on hit effects meant it was really tough to play an aggressive build, I think, because you were only, you were just straight damage, right? And it was great because you had split damage and that was like, you know, it was, it was a good place to be. But now you have these on-hit effects, right? Which is like, okay, so yeah. now your opponent now needs to defend the arcane damage uh, or this on-hit effect is live. But then they also have the actual like attack to deal with as well. So they're still, yeah, maybe they prevent the arcane damage, but then they're taking four and you're still advancing your game plan. So yeah, same with meet and greet, right? Which also helped with the, the sort of go wide aspect as well as the, the on-hit effect aspect. 
Yeah, and more just I think it's important to have some, you know, have aspects or have cards that will punish your opponent for not a kind of acknowledging that you're playing on those two different vectors of arcane damage and physical damage, right? Like you need you need to have a reason to come equipped with the arcane barrier outside of just like the OTK or the chip in, right? So if you have these cards that you know it's like, oh if you take the arcane it gets go again. If you take the arcane you have to discard a card if it hits you. Um you know, you're pretty much universally decked will pack an arcane barrier against uh against um viscerai. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, yeah, he's just right for sure. And then just the just a touch on like the other majestics quickly. Rattle Bones, we already talked about, really like didn't see as much play coming out of Crucible of War, but has like a really really powerful effect in terms of like what it can do. And I expect this is a card that we'll actually see. I think into the future, it's one of those cards where I think we've talked about before with Crucible of War as a supplemental set could see it could have a big impact down the line somewhere. Um, Runeblood Barrier saw a lot of play because it's really strong in these OTK decks, right? Like it lets you set up, um, you know for minimum four tokens often more because you're probably triggering viscerai as well which is really cool uh and you know can be used in not just these otk decks but probably even some of these mid-range decks as like a as like a semi-defensive card so it can be used offensively or defensively and then dread triptych is like the one of the things that often gets overlooked in flesh and blood is like the importance of really strong blue cards because as you get into late game situations uh you know if you're if your blues are stronger than your opponents combined with good <clears throat> pitch stacking and mindful pitching then you're going to put yourself in a really good position right and dread triptych allows you to do that because it's just a has power as a, as a blue all right so that concludes crucible of war and now we head into one of the most interesting expansions in flesh and blood and in my opinion the most interesting expansion for runeblade which is monarch so monarch brought us chain so now a totally different way to utilize this and you know this awesome huge card pool we had before but chain was very unique in design right because um you know, although you had a lot of Runeblade cards that were available to you from these other sets, Chain actually kind of wanted to use cards that he could play out of the Banished Zone with Blood Debt, right? So you there definitely was a level to which you could build a deck where it was, you know, there was an extent to which you wanted a certain amount of Blood Debt cards, right? So you didn't want an overload of, uh, of previously printed Runeblade cards. But speaking of Monarch, I want to talk about my favorite card, a card that went completely un- underutilized in my opinion. It's actually Dimensional Crossroads. So Hayden, this is your this was your spoiler. Talk to me a little bit about this card. Yeah, I can do. So the I guess the cool thing about Monarch, right, is you have you have Shadow Runeblade and you have Runeblade. So you have two like subsets of cards within Monarch. You got existing Runeblade cards, which we'll talk about in a minute, but these Shadow Runeblade cards are the they're the you know the, the key piece of, of Monarch as a as a set for Runeblade. And Dimensional Crossroads, I think, kind of really like, ties that together in a Majestic. Um, you know, it's a, it's an aura. Uh, the effect that it has, both in terms of the way it interacts with what's happening from your Banish Zone, but then also with Arcane Damage, which interacts with cards like we just saw in Crystal of War, for instance, with like Meet and Greed or Consuming Volition, cards that care about if Arcane Damage has been dealt, makes Dimensional Crossroads like a really interesting card. I think we like saw some play early on in the format, uh, then it kind of fell away. But it's a card that still, I think, warrants like exploration as we we move forward. We're getting a supplemental set, you know, later this year. Um, by by the time you listen to this, it might already be out. Dimensional uh, Gate uh, Crossroads, sorry, might be a, a card to like go back and and re-explore because you know a, a card that stays in the field and can service damage turn after turn after turn as long as you can keep it around is, is like a pretty powerful card. I mean, you can compare it to something like a, a Channel Mount Heroic in the current format, or you know, um, like maybe not quite. You can't really direct parallel, but you think about a card like induction chamber for instance or yeah. you know cards, cards like that so exactly exactly so yeah. my um, favorite part about this card is i felt like it it screamed like rune blade control but we didn't get anywhere close to that 
Yeah, and there probably is something there. I think it's just time to explore and, and build these decks, and uh, maybe it could be something in the future. But yeah, I mean, there's so many cards to look at from like a, a Shadow Runeblade offering, right? So I think if you like segment some of these cards, you have your your Blood Debt cards. So maybe if we talk about like some of the, the Blood Debt cards, these cards that can be played from Banish, um, you have the attack actions and then you have the non-attack actions. I think from like the attack action side, some of the most interesting cards are like if we stay with Majestics, like Shadow Versa is really interesting, right? Uh, this this blue that you can pitch to really pay for things early and then late game can banish and let you go wide uh, is like really key to what, what Chain wants to do in so many instances, especially depending on like the weapon you play. You have, you know, Invert, which is a, not a non-attack action, but an instant, uh, which sits like in that Majestic Realm as well, which is also blue again, like really just signaling to you, yeah, pitch these cards early, banish them late and get get rewarded for them. And then you have, you know, if we stay on the, I guess, the, the non-attack action side, you have the Sleeping Shadows, right? Which, same thing, you know, you could uh, look at the yellow and blue versions and say, pitch these early, play them late, uh, and allow you to go wide again. Oh, or maybe you just, you know, play them early when you when you banish them, um, and they have pretty strong effects. Any thoughts on, like, the non-attack action side? I mean, there's one I haven't talked about. <laughs> of course, you haven't talked about Seeds of Agony, the infamous card that I guess that, I don't know. This is probably it's pretty much a rumor at this point, but the rumor is that in um, the original design of Seeds of Agony is that it would cost one, not zero. And they reduced the cost of Seeds to zero to make Chain better in draft. Um, that ended up leading to this card being a little bit pushed in the constructed format, right, Hayden? Yeah, I mean, I think that's. I mean, com- most of that was confirmed in like the statement when Seeds of Agony was banned. Um, I think the only kind of conjecture around that is like, did it cost one originally? But it sounds like it. Uh... Yeah, I mean, Seeds obviously was like pivotal to what Chain did in the previous class constructor format with Monarch. Um, you know, super efficient in terms of the way that it would allow you to both like enable early game plays with like something like a Nebula Blade plus your attack actions, uh, allow you to play like your Banning Demigons and your, uh, you know, up up your Rip Through Realities, allow you to play, you know, something like a, sorry, Rip Through, your Rift Binds, but also allow you to play your Rip Through Realities and, and force that arcane damage through potentially um and obviously just really efficient late game for building these massive rift bind turns so siege was like a you know really pivotal card to that format but you know moving forward when we look at not having this card in the format the the attack actions probably stand as like you know head and shoulders kind of the most important blood deck cards or you know played from banished cards and in what chain has to work with now and i think probably you know you look at it now and you say like a card like bounding demigon is one of the most important ones a zero cost uh card that can be played attack that can be played from banish you know as long as you have fulfilled that requirement to play an attack a non-attack action but at red coming for four yellow for three blue for two like it's it's no slot try like there's a pretty pretty important card in, in these current chain builds you know what's funny is i actually think that on how it writes so another <laughs> attack action from this set um it's probably one of the most interesting cards in the in the game like in flesh of blood but we had a card called dread of brutality um that used to go on the bottom of the deck and there was really there was no condition for that it just went on the bottom of the deck it was and it recycled Unheld Rice also has no condition other than being played and there to be a target to put something from your a blood debt on a you know, non-attack action with you know costs, whatever, depending on what <laughs> Unheld Rice you're playing, on the bottom of your deck. And this seems like it gets really, really close to like breaking the rules of the game, kind of like Drone did. So yeah, if we look at a card like Rights of Replenishment um, from Tales of Aria, you act, it actually has to meet two criteria, right, to, for there to be any kind of recursive effect or recycling a card back onto the bottom of your deck, both you know one being arcane damage, the other one being fusing. So I think it's, you know, it, it was mentioned, to be fair, it was mentioned that on Howard Rights was on, is on the watch list to be banned, um, and it is pretty much exclusively for that reason where it gets 
pretty close to having a drone-esque effect for not requiring you to do much, right? Yeah, I mean, Unhallowed Rights is a card that, you know, there's, there's a few of these that still float around, but some of them have been banned that breaks kind of the, I guess, the the rules of what uh, Flesh and Blood has in terms of, like, the value um, equation and what cards can and cannot do in terms of, like, recursion, like you say, Brendan. So Unhallowed Rights is definitely one of those. That's uh, one of my favorite cards, I think, from from this, from Monarch. And I think, yeah, it's really important. Um Okay, well, I guess outside of that, any other cards you wanted to talk about in, in Monarch? Surely we have to talk about Riftbind, right? Because, yeah. I mean, Chain, Chain's initial endgame was nicknamed the Riftbind strategy, right? The Riftbind endgame. So just to quickly just to quickly talk about this, because it is integral to understanding the card, the Riftbind endgame was playing Chain, shackling every turn, pitching your seeds in your Riftbinds, and then playing out, you know, five seeds and then three Riftbinds, right? Or something like that, using Snapdragon Scalers, and your Riftbinds get pumped for each you know siege you're playing on hard rights and you could basically if your opponent wasn't playing snag come in for around 50 you know 40 to 50 damage quite easily almost without any preparation obviously strategies did actually have to become much more sophisticated after this because people started playing snag they started playing around it but initially the riftline end game was kind of you had this hyper aggro deck in the form of chain but then it had this inevitable end game throughout through riftline pitching as well Yep, and the, probably the only ones I wanted to quickly touch on, we talked about Rift Reality, but I actually think that card is like a pretty important piece to Chain's sort of current plans uh, because, you know, your attacks now, you, you kind of need some ability to go a bit wider, I think, with especially if you're going to play something like Rosettathorn. Um, and Dimensional Gateway actually is a card that has been not really played, but I think is actually something that I know we explored early on, didn't think it was good enough just based on what the deck was trying to do um, because, you know, like defense for two, cost one, didn't quite fit into the cost structure. But again, you know, that was with Nebula Blade. I think now with people playing Rosetta Thorn and all of these chain decks, Dimensional Gateway is like in a really good spot. Uh, you know, that ability to search for the card that, you know, the card you want to banish. So you basically get the card back, you get the arcane damage, which is an enabler for a lot of things as we've already talked about. Uh, and also triggers that that supplement, you know, fills that requirement of playing a non-attack action, uh, which is really important for, for something like a Rosetta Thorn or even for a Nebula Blade, um, especially when you don't have access to seeds, which was so efficient. So yeah, I think that's a important card. But Monarch, right? So we have Chain, we have a Monarch meta, but then we have Tales of Aria. Tales of Aria comes out and we get some more, some more uh, Rune Blade cards. Surprisingly, right? Yeah. Um, for let's let the record note too that when Rune Blade was kind of the final class, it was the last. I think it was one of the last class or the last class to be revealed in Monarch. It was, yeah. Um, oh, sorry, in Tales definitely was. I'm not sure. Yeah, in Tales. Sorry, yeah, for Tales. I know for me, it was definitely the the last one that I expected, and I think for a lot of the community, it was also as well because we'd already had two blue, two Rune Blade, right? two rune blades printed right and one of them had been oppressively dominant in the meta so to see this next <laughs> another rune blade printed was quite a funny scenario but you know of course in classic rune blade fashion it is extremely different from the others the thing about rune blade is that the entire class you know obviously oozes flavor but each each rune blade you know if we talk about briar chain and viscerai they're very 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 unique from each other yeah i mean they are and they aren't right <laughs> like it's it's funny so they still have a lot of this, the the Rune Blade DNA, which is the you know the uh, split damage piece, the uh, non attack actions and attack actions matter, the sort of go wide or go again aspect to a lot of what they maybe want to enact. Although Viserai kind of breaks some of that with the the go tool package, but Chain and, and Briar really share a lot of that. I think um, although maybe Briar, I feel like Briar is like a bridging piece. It kind of bridges some of the things that Viserai did and some of the things that Chain did to bring it more in the middle because of like you have earth and and lightning which i you know if i was to say 
this rifle feels a bit more earth-like and and maybe you know chain feels a little bit more lightning-like just in terms of the play styles uh so yeah i think they are different in the fact that they obviously have um some different like play patterns there's different things that matter to them they have different hero abilities so different cards are more important in those decks but they also do share a lot of overlap which i think is really important uh, not for just flavor wise but for continuity of the game and also really cool yeah absolutely and then what comes with tales of aria is my favorite piece of equipment in the game <laughs> by far i so, wanted okay. a room blade yeah i wanted a, i wanted a sorry i wanted a wizard in tales of aria. i didn't get one but i got the next best thing which is the spelldown creepers you know a piece of armor that lets you play at instant speed and not attack action get that action point blow your opponent there's nothing quite as satisfying as playing a channel not heroic at instant speed you know, just totally, totally surprising the opponent, getting another action point, getting another huge attack. But this this piece of armor in particular, Hayden, I think it's one of the, you know, it's one of the bigger builder on, uh, armor pieces in the game. 100%. I think since we saw this card, I've, I've probably been banging on to this, uh, banging on about this to you for a very long time, Brendan. But Spellbound Creepers is, you know, one of the most sort of uh, defining cards I think we might see out of this format long term. It has, you know, I think... The ability to build around this card is yeah huge like you say the value you can get from this card is is massive and then the fact that this still has like you know blade breaking is still like a relevant piece of defensive equipment which gives it some upside over snapdragon scalers just just naturally i think is uh is really cool like you do have to work i think to get a you know a good return on spellbound creepers but that kind of work you put in can also mean that you get like some really really significant um, return on investment for your spellbound creepers so I think it's a really cool design aspect as well. It continues that theme of, you know, your attack actions matter and your non-attack actions matter because obviously, you know, you're playing the non-attack action off the attack action. And there's some really cool interactions that you can play with Spellbound Creepers like, you know, Plunderan or, um, you know, a lot of these zero costs that effectively get you an effect and then also get you the the action point, um, which is really cool mm-hmm. about Spellbound Creepers. And your arcane damage matters, very notably. Um, yes, of so course. So the, yeah. the arcane damage that you do to your opponent is you know, integral to actually keeping us around and getting more value out of it than just the one card. So <laughs> pretty much everything Runeblade just baked in, but then they added a little bit of wizard by making it instant speed. Exactly. Made me, a very, made me a very happy camper. Yeah. And then if you look at, I guess, while we talk about just pure Runeblade cards from the set, um, while we're talking about the equipment, you've of course had like Sing of Sorcery, which is, I think, sits alongside that, right? A non-attack action where arcane damage matters and attack actions matter. It's It's like kind of, Again, that intersecting point of, of what a runeblade is trying to do. Again, it's a blue. I think you see some of these blue cards and they really signal that they can be set up for in-game purposes. Pitch this early. Um, you can set this up with like a really big go-wide turn, maybe with some like amplification. Of course, you have, you know, a card like Ball Lightning or you have a card like, um, you know, Meet and Greet that can really utilize something like this. These even Consuming Volition, these things that have like on-hit effects. Um, and then you have, you know, Sigil Suffering, which is another defense reaction that we now get for runeblade, which has a really cool interaction with Arcane Damage again. Um, but it's different different from what we saw with uh, reduced rune chant and then singeing steel blade which is you know if you look at something like vixie malice in the last set which we didn't actually touch on but uh, is very similar in that way except that you get to a break point on four which is obviously more important than vixie malice at three with a, uh, a card when you've got a set like one with briar where dealing physical uh, damage does matter as well so yeah singeing really interesting card i think that when you talk about Sinjing Steel Blade, that you know its most uh, most relevant comparison is actually Ar- Arcana Crackle. Yes. Okay. Um, sure. For so you. Yeah, zero, yeah. 
Yeah, the zero for three at the one arcane. So this is, you know, bumping up to that one cost, which you know, now that we're playing Lightning Briar that plays a lot of zero costs, we realize how much it, how much that really is. But at one cost, you are getting to the break point of four, which is just so much more than three often. Um, but let's talk about some of the the really defining cards, right? The the, the elemental cards. We can't we can't we can't say much without talking about Channel Mount Heroic, right? Channel Mount Heroic is just one of the craziest flesh and blood cards I've ever seen. Um, and just the value in terms of pure numbers that you can get out of this card is just fundamentally like so overrate, right? Like getting you getting like a plus nine, you know, out of all of your attacks, you know, whether you keep it around for one or two turns, you can do that actually on one turn, or maybe plus twelve you get on those two turns. That's just unbelievable, right? Yeah, I like how we, we go straight to just talking about the the element card, not the elemental uh runeblade cards. But yeah, I mean and there's a reason for that it's because yeah. Mount Heroic is like really really strong especially in Briar when you can find this middle ground between the, the I think it shines best in like a deck that can do both lightning and earth things in terms of that it can go wide and also care about you know embodiments and things like that it's just tougher to set up in those kind of decks where you're looking at like a dual fusion but the the return rate on that if you keep it around for two turns and you play three attacks I mean that's three for nine off one card uh, it's pretty pretty impressive and pretty can be potentially oppressive as well so really you know really powerful card but i guess Honestly, well Hayden, i've been i've been playing so much channel mount heroic i forgot that it wasn't a rune blade. <laughs> it just can, it just fits so well than briar i was just like this it, spiritually it's a briar card you can me. play it in all time yeah yeah but <laughs> if you look at you know if you look at the elemental briar cards and we stick with earth because we've just been talking about channel mount heroic and that's obviously like a really like a, a factor to take you to an earth briar build right well, why don't we look at some of the Earth cards that are also really important? So you have you have some you have a majestic in there in the form of Force of Nature. So again, I just want to point this out: another blue that probably pitches early. You can see at the bottom of your deck, and you can see up this kind of like almost combo esque piece with Force of Nature, with like a you know an Earth card for fuse, plus you know maybe some a few attack actions that go wide, for instance, uh, that allow Force of Nature to be be really impactful and have this really big payoff. Um, is I think really important. So you have the you have the lightning side to that as well, and Flicker Wisp. Which it does a similar thing. It's a yellow, so you could argue that again, it's, it's sitting in that sort of ground of being able to be pitched and set up. But also has just like a, a really strong effect of like if you fuse it immediately, it's it's two damage. And if you because of the nat- the nature of uh, Briar Lightning wanting to go wide, it's already probably threatening a bit more damage. Um, so that's like a, a really cool aspect. And then of course you have the jewel. You have Blossoming Spellblade, um, <laughs> which is like I mean that card is like super super powerful, right? It's just uh, it's reminiscent of what we saw with. Um, with rattle bones from crucible of war but just you know a bit but more of some harder requirements in terms of setting it up and executing on it yeah i mean the ceiling off on blossoming spell blade i think is yet to be kind of discovered oh, it's massive it's a, fa- it's a fascinating card um i do i do want to add a little bit of nuance in here and just say that you know, force of nature with channel on heroics as we talked about them so close together oh man chef's kiss that is the best combo <laughs> in the game i have uh i have otk'd my opponent so i want to kill the, an opponent with a force of nature and channel Mount heroic on turn one it is just crazy what that combo can do yep and you have some other cards that interact really well with that like you have explosive growth right perfect card that interacts yep. so well with that and earth like the 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 cards I mean, we're sticking on earth here for a second but it's just like super synergistic and then you have you know some some really interesting earth cards like um uh like what's the zero cost one? Oh, i'm just blanking now that uh gives you plus three or plus four if you fuse the attack um weave weave earth and then you've got you know of course earth also so you have these non-attack actions and you have some some reasonable attack actions as well and then if you move over to the lightning side right you've got a card like rights of lightning which is like super powerful oh yeah 
just that I mean, you know, meet and greet esque, where you have to have done the arcane damage to get the go again. But just you know, getting back to those core rune like concepts, where your your opponent has to make the choice, right? Do I commit an entire card? You know, often what is entire card? Sometimes you can tune up resources. I know. Um, do I commit an entire card to stopping this arcane damage, or do I suffer the consequences? Which is like he gets, you know, my opponent will get go again on this card. There might be a discard effect on this other one. You know, all these kinds of things. Yep, and especially if you've got spellbound creepers around, you might be able to. I'd be able to find a way to deal some instant speed arcane damage. Maybe not quite yet, but in the future, we'll see what happens. Um, and then, you know, Veil of Flash, which is probably the other card I would call out as well. Uh, you know, it gives you this, like, mini Spellbound Creeper ability, right, on a stick, which is um, is also just a good rate, like, red 1 for 5 attack is, is just strong. I'll let you talk about the Earth cards to round it out, and then we'll move through on to talk about some weapons and then just the class uh, sort of builds. Yeah, so I think my favorite card in Earth for a Runeblade is actually Stir the Wildwood. It's a bit vanilla in what it does, but... I mean, it's just such a fantastic, like, I mean, we're talking two for nine often, <laughs> if you could do the arcane damage. I mean, this with Bramble Spark is just kind of your, your cream of the cop, little two card combo. Um, but yeah, I mean, Stir the Wildwood, it's, it, it's hitting on that same thing, right? Where if you're in a go tall deck, your opponent's often going to be trying to, you know, play efficient defense reaction against you, maybe wait to block out. And it's like committing an entire card to an arcane damage. It might seem a bit innocuous, like earlier on the combat chain which then is going to buff this plus two. Um, just really, really strong. One of my favorite things about Runeblade is just that, you know, having to make that decision to block that arcane damage when you have so little information. Yeah, yeah, I really like Bramble Spark is like a really super cool card as well that I enjoy playing. Uh, yeah, okay. I already I already mentioned it a little bit, but I there is also Rites of Replenishment, of course, you know, that recursive effect on the lot of that, that card so far I have been a bit less excited about, but, you know, obviously I think that if you can... It has like a massive kind of toolbox uh, potential, right? You know, if you're, you find yourself having a hard time against fatigue matchups, you want to set up certain ungames. You know, this this card, Rise of Replenish, can Rise of Replenishment can help you tuck cards from your graveyard back on the bottom of your deck, mm-hmm. which is important in a deck that's again we talked about this at kind of the the top of the the main main topic, but is like as you're burning through, you know, these things that deal arcane damage, they might not be super efficient from like a, a trading card standpoint because your opponent can just use resources, pitch cards to prevent the arcane damage. Sometimes, you know, running out of gas is like a real threat, but a card like Rights Replenishment, a card like uh, Unhallowed Rights we already talked about is like, you know, really relevant for, for preventing that from happening. All right, Brendan, I think we will, we're going to just touch on the weapons um, and then we're going to talk about just kind of over, just give an overview of the styles of decks and then that's going to be part one. And then in part two, we're really going to dive into, uh, you know, how to play the deck, how to build the um, the turns out, how to win with Runeblade and then get into matchups. So, Let's talk about the weapons. Of course, we had Nebula Blade, which is the first weapon. Really efficient, you know, in terms of uh, when you're building around these non-attack actions. You know, two for four, but threatening effective five damage because of that rune chant, right? And that rune chant can also enable a future turn, which is really important. Yeah, this was sort of one of, this was kind of the killer card in Chain. Uh, because you had the seeds for zero, it was so often that you would be able to play your seeds out of Banish for zero. You would pitch your one blue, you would play your meet and greet out of Banish for one, and then you have the two resources over left over to swing the Nebula for four, that neon hit trigger, keep that, you know, get that rune chat for the next turn, and maybe the next turn you draw the meet and greet. It's just, it was a brutal combination of cards, and it was all kind of enabled by the Nebula Blade. Yep, definitely. And then we move through, you get Reaping Blade with Crucible War. Really helped enact those OTK plans, right? Those one-turn kill plans because it prevented your opponent from, you know, sigiling and gaining life. And, um, you know, usually you'd be the one whittling down on life and you could play your own sigils and stuff, but they were on 40 because you're not dealing them any damage. So 
Briefing Blade was like interesting from that regard. You know, in terms of like rate, it's one for three, so it's like on rate, um, but then you have to like weigh up the effect and the effect is going to be really crucial for certain builds, but for other builds, it's going to be not important at all, right? And at that point, the Reaping Blade maybe becomes um, pretty unappealing. You get Galaxy Black, right? Monarch flips out. We get Galaxy Black, uh, which is a Shadow Rune Blade weapon, of course. So only only our dear friend Chain could hold that weapon. But Chain ended up playing a lot more uh, Nebula Blade, I guess, just because of basically because of Seeds of Agony, right? Because of the sufficiency of resources you you could afford to pump two into your weapon and um and really like play on that return rate that you got off Nebula Blade, and then. From the Galaxy Black standpoint, like I think the the effect is so strong, right? Like it's a so one for one, right? Like if you're not turning on the effect, it's a pretty poor turn on your right. But because of the way the chain is built, it's pretty easy to to turn on that Galaxy Black. Generally, you're going to be uh, turning on that effect. So I actually, but I do think you know with the with seeds moving out of the format, um, Galaxy Black comes into a point where it's pretty close to unplayable. I think unfortunately, like it is it is the weakest of the weapons. I think even more so than. I mean, like a Reaping Blade, or we'll talk about in a second, Dread Scythe. Um, I think Galaxy Black just... It, yeah, I mean, Rosetta just does it better at this point. Yeah, I mean, speaking of cards that, that scream kind of control Rune Blade, Dread Scythe was also... The, you know, that with uh, Dimensional Crossroads, just... I really thought there was an archetype there, but I would I, I can say now that I've actually never sat across from a Dread Scythe outside of Limited. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, in Limited. Um yeah, I mean, definitely like kind of messed around with the idea of, of using Dread Scythe. And I think there's probably some decks out there that, you know, we already talked about these like really heavy blues, you know, these blues that can be really strong, set you up for like in-game potential. Um, and because Dread Scythe is a Runeblade weapon only, like any any of the current Runeblades can play this. So there's probably a deck out there that, you know, um, controls the game really early, sets up this like really strong in-game with some of these really powerful blues and can probably really leverage Dread Scythe because it's, a, it's, a, it's pretty efficient, right? Like it is three for three, but you're all you're always claiming the arcane damage, uh, which is really important, right? So it's really hard for you. The opponents have to commit two cards to stop your weapon every single time, uh, or they're just going to leak the damage. So as long as you don't need to be hitting in big chunks and you can get away with just one damage each time, uh, it's it's pretty efficient. Uh, so it really comes down to just what does the rest of your deck look like, and then how do you play off the back of of that weapon into the late game? So nothing currently, but I'm I'm sure we will see it, and it's a it's a cool place yeah. to explore. Really feels like a weapon that was maybe printed for a for a future time. Um, but speaking of weapons that maybe shouldn't have been printed for any time at all, let's talk about Dustblade. So Dustblade was banned uh, before Tales of Aria was even released. Uh, I think that they uh, the kind of <laughs> the public statement was that it was a bit untested. Um, but yeah, that I know that in our initial testing and the testing they've heard from other players you know, very early before the set was released. Um, you could you know, obviously get the card on like tabletop simulator or something like that. It was uh, a bit broken and chained. So we talk about, you know, the idea with chain is that he would get punished by having to mill out his deck and, you know, um, could get fatigued. Well, al- already that, that was, that, that theory did not work and chain could be that strategy quite consistently. Well, Dustblade just made that a hundred times easier. So, um, and I would have been quite interested to see how good it would have been in like something like Earthbriar or Viscerai and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you can still try it on Blitz, right? So give it a give it a go. <laughs> um, yeah. We talk about Rosetta Thorn, so let's round out the weapons. Rosetta Thorn is, you know, I think uh, maybe a bit too good personally. I think Rosetta Thorn, it's um, it fits so well into Viscerai, which is really cool. I like that aspect. Obviously, Briar, you know, utilizes that weapon uh, really well, but it it just is the essence of what a Runeblade wants to do, right? Play a non-attack action. Play an attack action. Play Rosetta Thorn. Like that is kind of it's a pretty like 
that's the basic game plan of, of uh, Runeblade. And I think that's a big part why Rose Edithorn is, uh, to be honest, not linked or not locked to an element is because of that, the fact that Rose Edithorn fits so well with what the DNA of just the Runeblade class is. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. <laughs> it's unbelievably good, right? Can you not one, just disagree um, with me one time? Like, you know? <laughs> well, if we weren't talking about Rosetta Thorn, it'd be a lot easier because when you're able to use one resource to come in for two arcane and two physical, it's just absolutely unbelievable. We all, we all felt the power in, in Limited from this uh, from this weapon. But in Constructed, I mean, it's still there as well. Like, it's it's incredibly strong. And like you said, even if you you know take it back to here, like Viscera, it just, I feel, it just slots in, I feel like, better than... You know, any of its predecessors yeah i, I think actually think rosetta thorn is like at its home and viscera i think viscera uses rosetta thorn the best i'm not saying it's the best room by deck but i'm saying that i think it utilizes rosetta thorn uh the best just because of the play patterns that you know you're really highly incentivized to always want to get rune chance and the best way to do that is not attack action into attack action with go again um and then rosetta thorn's always like presenting that split damage <clears throat> which viscera loves as well so yeah i, I um it's probably my favorite thing since Tazvari came out as playing Rosetta Thorn vs. Radex. Absolutely. As we head towards the end of uh, this first part of our Runeblade deep dive, Brennan, we're just going to higher level talk about the kind of styles of Runeblade deck just in preparation for setting us up for really diving deep into what these look like in, in, uh, in part two. So... Viscerai. We talk about Viscerai. We have this one-turn kill deck that we've really talked about was prevalent in the Blitz format because of its ability to prey on Ira. Look to set up a, a really, you know, a critical mass of room chance and never attacking so they could keep those. Mordred Tides, Rune Blood Barriers, uh, Read the Runes, etc. And then come in for one big attack to, to kill someone, right? We saw this in Cease and Kinesis Constructed to a degree as well. Um, of course, especially with like Scalata coming in. Then you have the aggressive decks, right? So then you have these like low to the ground aggressive decks of Viscerai, which are utilizing like Morphin Skies, Rune Flashes, um, you know, the Dark Dimension, Spellblade Strikes, etc. Plunder Runs. And then mid range, right? So then there's a kind of an in between. You're probably looking to sometimes be like kind of on the front foot with your weapon and a, a non attack and attack. And then other times you're maybe taking a turn off, setting up like a read the runes, maybe six or seven rune chance, and then coming in with like a really efficient attack and pushing multiple sources of damage with probably on hit effects for like a one big turn uh, and you might do that every maybe like third turn for instance that's kind of the mid-range deck what about chain talk to me about what chain looks like yeah i mean so chain <laughs> is funny because chain is uh, i mean i guess in definition an aggro deck or was an aggro deck right um but that deck also played very strong into the mid game and especially strong into the late game as well um so it was an aggro deck that also had a you know it could it could play the control game plan. It could play the mid range. It could do anything. I think that you're know, calling it an aggro deck is kind of simplifying it a bit. Um, but that being said, I think chain was and actually kind of probably still remains at the at the time of this recording the fastest deck in the format, um, even faster than something like Lightning Briar. Um, the difference is that it's not as consistently fast, right? With with things like Art of War um, and actually hitting its banishes instead of whiffing, which is a possibility. I don't think that there's any deck that's currently faster than chain. Um, and just to quickly talk about back in Monarch, um, it's, it's a bit different than the deck is now, but that deck, uh, a lot of the populists were actually built to be explosive in the early game. So they play these generics like E-Strike and Command and Conquer. Then the mid game was quite strong as well. They had Nebula Blade, Seeds, could trade very efficiently. Um, but they are particularly tech to actually beat the fatigue end game, which they were able to do very, very consistently and play around things like Arclight Sentinel and Snag and all these kind of cards. 
Yeah, I'd say the chain like in the past has been an all-rounder. Has been this kind of like <clears throat> I'd say like on the aggressive side, but could flex into a mid-range deck really well. Now we're probably looking at a chain deck that is probably a bit more like on the sliding scale of aggro to mid-range control is like sitting a bit more on the mid-range side but can still do the aggressive things really well just has to be a bit more thoughtful about its play and its pitch because you can't just kind of you know these seeds just kind of you know just lay it all out and just kind of just uh play really linear and go like you know shackle 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 flip 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 uh just play everything i have because um you're gonna you know if you know how you build your deck you're either gonna whiff a lot or you're gonna be set around with a ton of attacks and you're banished that you can't play if you haven't built the deck correctly so yeah chains in a really interesting spot but also a really like like a really cool spot i think and we did actually do a gameplay video with like a new kind of build of chain which i think was um really fun and showcases kind of how you have to manage your blood debt and utilize maybe something like a spellbound creepers to, to help you out mm-hmm. awesome well talk to us about briar to round it out yeah, I mean, uh, if we talk about Briar, we've we've we dived into this a lot with the Tales of Briar cards, but you've you've got the two streams, right? You've got the Earth stream, you've got the Lightning stream, and those are kind of your two probably baselines where Earth is like a bit more bigger attacks, trying to utilize something like Channel Mount Heroic for some wider turns, uh, but is generally like you know really playing on these embodiments of Earth and can defend really well because you have like multiple attack, uh, sorry, non attack actions that defend for three uh, at a base rate. And then, you know, from the, the lightning side, that is really like this pure at the moment, aggressive, go wide, low to the ground deck, uh, mono red sort of style, if you're thinking MTG. Um, and that is, you know, looking to create embodiments of lightning off non-attack actions, then use those to just continue to go wide. And then maybe like a Rosetta Thorn at the end of the chain. So it's currently what it looks like. And then you have the the hybrid styles, which less explored and I think much harder to, to build, but that's like, those are like blossoming spellblade decks and they might utilize you know, Channel Mount Heroic as well as maybe like Channel Thunderstep as well to like enable cards to have, you know, go again. They might even play like sort of that like mini combo that people talk about, which is like Channel Thunderstep and um, Tome, uh, Afian, uh, yeah, Tome of Fiendale to, you know, like refuel your hand, gain some life and, and continue, you know, while playing multiple days. Two non-attack actions right there, right? That you create your embodiment of lightning. So there's some really big like combo-esque turns, I think, was probably what I would coin these, um, these dual element decks as like their and mid-range combo decks so we've talked about the styles uh of each of these heroes you know three runeblade heroes a lot to talk about this and so we are breaking down to two parts so that does round out part one of our runeblade deep dive uh hopefully you know we want to make sure that we give a really holistic view of of the runeblade class and we don't just kind of sprint through things and, and miss things out and not talk about certain aspects of the, the classes or a thing that you know something that maybe one of the heroes that appeals to you more or that you're looking to build um, and then we also want to make sure that as we head to the future, you know, this deep dive can be used as a, as a tool and a resource. So yeah, we are splitting into two parts. We're back next week with part two. Thank you again to all of our listeners and viewers. Of course, our YouTube page is still there. If you want to go and check us out, we have gameplays up. We have deck text. We of course have this main podcast as well as our time in the round. Uh, we had Tannen on last week. It's just me and Brennan flying solo by ourselves this week as we head into Orlando course we will both be in orlando so if you do want to come and say hello i'll be floating around the hall on friday brenda will be playing but yeah come and say hello and and have a chat um, i'll be playing some side events on friday i'm sure and we'll be there over the weekend and lastly just want to shout out to our patrons a big massive thank you to all that you enable us to do and for supporting us and supporting our content if you do want to check out our patreon we have you know additional exclusive content over there we have uh you know whenever we put up a deck guide that you'll see up on youtube this just went up this week 
uh, you can head over to our, our Patreon. We do have like in-depth like cyber plans and um, you know guides on like how the deck plays, why it plays uh, as a written format. So you can take those and really just take the deck and run with it straight away. As well as we do an additional pod each month for our, our patrons, and we do a live session as well for our our Tommy Fiendale, our high tier patrons. Um, as well as we do have you know our play mats available to to buy and some exclusive uh, exclusive things on there. So again, thank you to all of our patrons. But until next week, uh, we'll see you later.